0: You're listening to podcasts from the Congressional Internet Caucus Advisory Committee, www.netcaucus.org.
1: Good afternoon. Looks like we've got a pretty full house, so I think we'll get started here. Thank you all for spending your Friday afternoon here, especially in Washington, D.C., when it's in the low 80s, <laughs> and which is never heard of in July. Um, so, uh, a couple housekeeping items. Just want to thank you for being here on behalf of the Internet Caucus. We are um, live tweeting the event as well as it's being recorded. If you want to uh, to add to the Twitter debate, the hashtag is um, ICACNSA. So we've got that. Um, a little housekeeping item. Uh, Tim is not here today, so he asked me to um, make sure that you all know that uh, I'm here as as my capacity. Um, I am with the American Enterprise Institute. I am not uh, holding any of their opinions, and the people here are um, will state whether or not they are are stating the opinion of themselves or their organization. Uh, And this is really not meant to be a technical debate. It's a it's a policy debate of where are we a year after the Snowden revelations, and you know what we've learned and what has and hasn't kind of gone forward from there. And I'm just going to ask each one of our panelists to our Um, really well written and well spoken on this topic to just give a couple of key points of their uh, point of view and then we're going to get into a dialogue amongst us panelists and then we're going to open it up so be thinking about questions. Um, So I'm going to start with Stuart Baker, who's a partner at Steptoe and Johnson and was one of the, uh, I think, were you the first uh, uh, policy... Assistant Secretary, let me make sure I get that title right, Um at, at DHS, which is something that we've seen grow in um, its responsibilities. And this is probably something that you hadn't even really fathomed when you were there at the time. So, um so it's probably fascinating to know what you know and then be where you are now. Um so I'm gonna open with Stuart and just a little shout out for those of you who are looking for a summer book read. He's got a great book. You might wanna look that up.
2: Yeah. Skating, <clears throat> skating on Stilts. Um, uh, skating on stilts. Um, you can uh, download it for free. It's a Creative Commons licensed. You can give it to your friends for for holidays. Uh, um and there's a blog that goes with it, so that's where you'll find it. Uh, uh, so I was also, uh, long ago in the 90s, uh, the general counsel of the National Security Agency, so I know them well. I And uh, I, I have to say, I think this uh, entire thing is, I'd call it a tragedy if it had not been so carefully orchestrated by people who had a, an agenda, um, the... Uh, Uh, The folks who control this data uh, are determined to cause as much damage as they can to the National Security Agency, and they have done many of the things they accuse the intelligence community of doing, managing information, withholding information uh, from people that does, uh, from the public that doesn't fit their narrative. Uh, They did that with the very first disclosure when they told us that uh, NSA was collecting the of uh, 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 phone metadata for everybody in the country uh, and uh, withheld for two weeks uh, any information which they had about all the limitations uh, on what uh, NSA could do with that information on and on their ability to actually look at it uh, uh, and that has been consistent uh, consistent with their uh, with the Snowdenista journalists approach uh, uh, ever since they have uh, come as close to m- misrepresenting this data as they could, uh, and the only people who control this data are people who are deeply hostile to uh, the National Security Agency and, in many cases, the national security of the United States. Uh, So it is a tragedy. Uh, uh, I think it raises some interesting issues for Congress. Uh, uh, The The hard problem, the problem that we are all debating is how do you do oversight of intelligence, Uh, uh, but it's got to be obvious to everyone you can't do intelligence by uh, disclosing all your intelligence programs. You just won't have any intelligence programs left if you do that. If you once grant that proposition, it's kind of hard to imagine what further oversight uh, would have been appropriate, Uh, and it does seem to me that there has been quite a bit of effective oversight uh, uh, in this context. um, and so uh, I would be glad to talk more about the details of uh, uh, the oversight or how we ended up in the position we're in today. Thanks.
1: Great. Thanks. Uh, next we have Kevin Bangston. He's the policy director of the Open Technology Institute at the New American Foundation and previously at the Center for Democracy and Technology. So obviously you've been following this area for a long time and stood and probably put a lot of this stuff into perspective for you. Uh, Kevin also just recently wrote an article. Was it in the Washington Post? CNN. Oh, CNN, sorry. Um, that was on the anniversary, and it's a great read, uh, which is on his website if you want to take a look at that. Um, so, Ken, why don't you kind of give us your perspective on what's going on here?
3: Great. Uh, thanks, Jane. Um, so, Kevin Bankson, Open Technology Institute of New America, formerly CDT, also formerly ACLU and EFF. So, surprise, I come from a civil libertarian perspective when it comes to government surveillance. But I think what I want to talk about today is the fact that however you fall on the national security versus personal privacy and civil liberties debate, which I think is a simplistic way of looking at this, um, I think that there can be arguments made, a very strong argument made, that we need to see substantial reforms in the way we do surveillance uh, to address all the other issues that are being raised uh, by the Snowden revelations and the programs that, that it did reveal. Because this isn't just about national security let's say, a fairly unproven national security benefit versus privacy and civil liberties. It's about surveillance, uh, national security versus privacy and civil liberties and versus the internet economy and versus the security of the internet and the openness of internet architecture. It's about the continuing viability of our internet freedom agenda abroad, the continued health of our relations with our allies uh, and, and emerging governments abroad. So even if you don't care a jot about privacy and civil liberties, although I certainly hope you do. I think there are a lot of minuses uh, in the plus minus columns when we're talking about these programs and how we need to respond to them. Um, and frankly, you know, one point I've heard is that, well, it's not actually the program's fault, it's the Snowden revelations of the program's fault. I think that is a moot point, or at least a, a semantic one. The fact is, uh, the information is out there, the damage has been done, and the U.S. government does have to act in a way to address the credibility concerns that it has now raised in regard to its own behavior and the security and functioning of the Internet as a whole. Um, in regard to that, in addition to the short piece we did uh, uh, in CNN, we actually have a short paper that you can find on the desk out front and has been handed around that actually runs through the variety of costs... Uh, that have been reported on uh, since the Snowden revelations first began, and runs through many of the things I just I just spoke about, um, and that's in advance of a much longer paper that will be published uh, before the end of the month. Um, suffice to say, on the econo- uh, economic impact, we have predictions of billions of dollars. Uh, lost to the US internet industry. Uh, we are starting to hear numbers of particular in- companies saying things like, we have lost half of our international hosting business in the past year. Um, there is a real impact coming from this, and we need to act to address it. So,
1: thank you. Great. Thanks, Kevin. Chris Hassenberger, have I said that right? Um, is the director of policy at the Business Software Alliance. And as I was reading his bio this morning, I found out that he's a fellow Nebraskan. So kind of excited about that, uh, Chris. I realize you come at this from a, from a different perspective. You have a long history in doing technology policy and and looking at the challenges this is, takes for some of your companies that are member companies. You want to address that?
4: Absolutely, Shane. And uh, thanks, everyone, for the opportunity and for being here today. Um, I I think where I've ended up here, uh, physically not in the middle uh, between the two of you, um, is uh, um, perhaps unfortunate, but really it's where the technology uh, industry has ended up, um, caught in the middle um, of a much larger debate about really what should be seen as a new era uh, of privacy. Um, because we're entering a new era of technology and and I I appreciate uh that Kevin came back at the end to what are at this point very real consequences uh for the technology industry this is this is obviously a huge debate about privacy, about uh, the balance of of law enforcement and surveillance interests uh, and national security, and that is a huge debate that we have to have. Um, It also, I think, should be seen as uh, an economic debate because of the huge impact that this is going to have on the technology sector uh, moving forward.
1: So just sticking with you, Chris, so your, your companies are seeing uh ramifications after a year they really um, they feel like they've seen an impact I mean can you kind of elaborate on that
4: Absolutely. So it um, and I should mention at the time uh BSA uh, is uh <coughs> represented uh, represents a, a broad swath of uh the traditional um, software and hardware companies in the IT sector. Uh speaking here today, I'm not speaking for any one of those uh members and, and at times I will probably be speaking for myself and I'll try to make that clear. But yes, um it's It's been pretty widely reported, as Kevin mentioned, uh, there has been a real impact on this. Uh, you've seen probably uh, most recently the news that Verizon lost a contract with the German government, uh, and the German government specifically cited uh, security concerns uh, and and wanting to keep its network domestic. Uh, we are hearing anecdotally lots of uh, examples of, of countries customers, uh, end users, raising security concerns as to whether or not they should use uh, U.S.-based companies for their services, uh, hearing questions, even in, in companies uh, that don't, uh, have not been pulled into the whole national uh, security and surveillance debate, um, they're getting questions about this. So we're absolutely hearing uh, a lot of examples of, of concerns from customers around the world. So staying on the
1: trade thought for a second before we go to privacy, Um, so the impact on the U.S. government's credibility, we're saying that we think this is real, this is not just a posturing issue or being used as a kind of a trade lever. So I don't
4: know about... a trade lever, as much as uh, a lever to influence and grow uh, economies around the world. What what we are seeing is. Um Obviously, the companies that have been drawn into this debate are U.S. companies. U.S. companies in, in many places are the leading providers of technology uh, products and increasingly technology services around the world. Um, what we have here is an inflection point, a moment for uh, other countries, other companies to close the gap uh, and to use this uh, as an opportunity to to really catch up to the IT industry in the United
2: States? That, that, w- that would be my sense. I mean, th- there is no doubt that there are some privacy, some genuine privacy concerns here, uh, but it, there's also no doubt that there are um, mercantilist motivations on the part of the government's, uh, uh, the biggest impact probably is in cloud uh, and uh, people saying we want our we want our stuff stored here, um, and uh, the desire to have stuff stored locally has a lot of motivations. One is more jobs locally. Uh, uh, one is that we don't uh, uh, hear much about is all of this move that I'm sure Kevin has been enthusiastic about about encrypting uh, communications, encrypting the the, the link to uh, uh, to the um, e- email provider that has cut off. Access by local law enforcement to a whole bunch of information that they are, uh, they can only get now by go, coming to the United States and asking, pretty please, the U.S. will give us the information. They would rather force all the email uh, to be stored in Brazil or Germany so that they could, their law enforcement agencies can just walk in and take it, which is the general rule for uh, most of these law enforcement agencies. Uh, uh, that is part of the motivation in demanding that there be more localization of of, of the cloud. Uh, it's not particularly good for privacy. It's probably bad for privacy, but it is part of the motivation.
3: If I might add to that, I, I think in some instances we agree uh, on this, Stu, in the sense of several of the trends that we're seeing now. Pre-existed the Snowden revelations but the Snowden revelations have hastened them have given ammunition to those we were arguing with um, on the issue of data localization prior to Snowden there were certain governments that were very focused on trying to get American companies to locally host both private data and data that the, you know, YouTube videos and the like so that local governments could exert greater control over content and have easier access to data the Snowden revelations have much strengthened the hand of governments that are pushing for that kind of data localization, uh, such in a way that I think um, impacts uh human rights. I mean one of our biggest concerns about data localization pre-stoden was that many of these countries were doing this not because they were trying to protect you know themselves against the big bad Americans, but because they actually wanted to be able to exert greater control over internet data and internet speech. Uh and we've now given them a great deal of ammunition on that. Similarly um Even prior to the Snowden revelations, there was a big debate over the role of the U.S. in internet governance and what should the future of internet governance be? Should it continue to be a multi-stakeholder model that involves governments and companies and civil society but that many have been concerned has been dominated by the U.S.? Or should it be the realm of governments and an intergovernmental process? And we've had countries like China and Russia and Saudi Arabia pushing very hard to increase the role of governments in the global administration of the Internet. That trend existed pre-Snowden. However, the Snowden revelations have significantly changed the contours of that debate, given a lot of new ammunition to people who we don't necessarily want to have more control over the Internet. But they can say, well, we're doing it in order to ensure that the U.S. doesn't get up to its shenanigans and or because we want to get up to shenanigans like the U.S. Or if if I could put it on a, a bumper sticker that Kevin probably won't put on his
2: car, it would be Snowden better for Russia than for privacy.
1: <laughs> Taking a slightly different point of view on the from uh, the idea of encrypting your email from end to end, is that actually a healthy thing from a cybersecurity perspective? Is that maybe a potential side benefit to the individual user?
3: I would say that it's an enormous benefit. I think that the, uh, although it is also costly, I think that the companies have had to expend a great deal of resources uh, to do this. And so if we're talking about costs of the NSA programs, that is one of them. I think there are a great deal of benefits to that as well. Google and Yahoo should have been encrypting their data links. Um, we want more data at rest being encrypted. We want more websites to turn on SSL, the encryption for websites, so that you see that little lock when you're browsing, and we want to see more encryption between email servers. This is actually something Google just recently published a transparency report showing all the different companies that weren't encrypting your email when they were sending between mail servers. All of this goes to the good. All of this goes to the hardening of the information security of the Internet against unauthorized access. No, Whether it's it's it also against authorized access, and this is the problem.
2: I, uh, every country has criminals, loathsome criminals, that they are quite entitled to investigate. Uh, uh, When you encrypt everything end-to-end, their investigations will end up in uh, multilateral assistance treaty requests for assistance to the U.S. government. If they don't have a treaty, and most of the authoritarian governments don't have a treaty that we're willing to uh, uh, cooperate under, uh, uh, they have no way of getting information even against the criminals that they're investigating if they're using Gmail or Yahoo Mail and the like. Uh, That's going to create enormous tension between the companies and those governments. It's going to lead them to pursue hacking into people's uh, computers as a second best alternative and it's distinctly second best Uh, and frankly for most of us Uh, if your biggest worry is the police or the national security agency, encrypting end-to-end has a pretty significant effect. If you think that the People's Liberation Army is more likely to break into your system, and believe me, if you're in the United States, that is the case, uh, uh, encrypting end-to-end doesn't really solve the problem. You want to encrypt the data at rest. uh, And all of the solutions that we've been spending these boatloads of money uh, uh, on are
4: aimed at the wrong target, in my view. So I would just say I, I think that it's it's pretty obvious from the, the actions of the companies that increasing encryption both uh, in transit and at rest. Uh, it's obvious that w- the the goal here is in ensuring the confidence of the consumers of the end users that their data is secure. And uh, it, Stuart quite rightly notes uh, the existence of criminals, the importance of being able to pursue uh, proper investigations, uh, and and you know. Ultimately, does that increase state hacking possibly? I think what we would suggest and what we would propose is we see the real alternative and and the real uh, message that we should be driving is the importance of international uh, cooperation and uh, conversations about this. This is a place at this point we feel governments need to be coming together to talk about how to govern uh, access to data
3: and and to create a framework that works uh, around the world. I mean, I would I would agree with that and simply add that much of the focus right now, I think, is in technically hardening the Internet against all unauthorized access, whether by governments or criminals or Chinese hackers or Russian mafia, um, and that much of that focus when it comes to government access is to ensure that if the government does need data, which it often does, Uh, no one questions that, that they come through the front door with appropriate legal process rather than the back door. Um, But they're going to move the front door to to Brazil and Germany and Romania and Russia
2: and China. They're going to insist that the the data be stored there, including Americans' data, Uh, and we're going to completely lose control of any privacy standards with respect to uh, foreign government access to that data.
3: It's interesting. I feel like we're sort of arguing past each other, because I share that same concern, but I think we have a different idea of what are the root causes of that. Um, I I think that uh, the Snowden revelations have given a great deal of ammunition to the countries that want to do that, Um, and I think that, but I'm not going to accept that threat as a reason why we should not also secure our data.
1: So can we unpack that a little bit, because I think that's actually a really interesting point. Um, So let's... Let's just pick a country to make it. Let's use Brazil, okay? So if I have data as an American citizen now in Brazil, Stuart, what do you think my concern is?
2: So I'm willing to bet I know more about the uh, European standard. I picked the but, wrong country. Uh, okay. uh, but then, no, that, I, I, I think it's a safe bet that the um, Brazilians don't have a higher standard for access than the, the Germans and the Dutch and the French. Uh, um, a, the fact is that uh, in practically every country – um, the law enforcement can walk in and just say, would you like to give us that information? Thank you. Uh, and by the way, it's understood you're not going to tell anybody that you've provided us with that information. For clarity,
1: the, the law enforcement person and they in that sentence is the local. The, the, they they, ISP will,
2: will, they will walk into anybody who stores data in okay. Brazil, uh, is subject to having the police come in and ask for the, uh, uh their subscribers' information, uh, voluntarily in quotes, Uh, and uh, without disclosing, because it would be embarrassing, the fact of uh, having provided that information. And if you are an American who just happens to be taking a uh, um, a visit to the um, uh, the World Cup and you do emails uh, uh, from uh, Brazil, there's a decent chance that under the standards as they're evolving, all of that stuff will be stored in Brazil and not anywhere else, uh, uh, and that your um, data will be uh, looked at by the authorities in Brazil uh, for whatever purpose they want to use it for without any of the uh, protections that, that we are now arguing about how to improve.
1: Kevin, do you want
3: to? I mean, I, I think the more apt discussion to be having is, is what do others think is – going to happen to their data if they store it in the United States. And right now, what people believe is going to happen if they store it in the United States is that the NSA is going to have relatively unchecked access to it. And that is causing people to choose not to do business with American companies and is causing governments to propose new infrastructure for the Internet to limit the amount of data that travels directly or incidentally through the United States. I, 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 I don't disagree that, that uh, there are people and, and uh, media
2: with strong interests in, in keeping that issue alive in foreign countries and that it is being used uh, in some cases in good faith and in some cases in bad faith to uh, try to get localization of data. I'm not sure that that's a completely successful move in every respect, uh, but the more we uh, prevent governments from getting any access to this, except through the really no, more or less broken MLAT process, uh, the more likely we are to uh, inspire um a, a determination to uh, uh, to localize that data where we will completely lose uh, privacy protections for any Americans who happen to be caught up in that web uh so I, I think we do more or less agree yeah uh, I'm just not sure uh what, what would you suggest an apology tour, tour? A world apology tour where uh, this is something that's being misused by governments most of the public policy proposals that are currently before Congress, uh, you know, let's get rid of the 215 program, let's do something about back-end data searches of, for Americans, will have zero impact Indeed. on the campaign that uh, is being put forward. And if what you would like is a uh, international agreement that we're not going to do espionage, uh, um, that's um, about as plausible as agreeing that we won't have extramarital sex in the future. Uh, uh, it, it, it is simply something that is going to happen and we're not going to be able to regulate it. Uh, if we signed up to that, we'd be the only people who actually try to enforce it on our own government.
3: So I certainly agree that the current legislative proposals are very focused on the rights of Americans and don't necessarily hit the programs that are most going to impact people outside of the United States, including Section 702. I think that is a deficiency of the proposals. Um, as far as things we can do, you can look at the very back page of the paper that we handed out that has a number of recommendations about uh, how we can start addressing this issue. I think one of them is 702 reform, um, limiting the scope of the data that can be collected and the range of purposes for which it can be collected and used, greater transparency, which is something that we've been working very hard with the companies to try and obtain, uh, a variety of confidence-building measures in regard to uh, uh, U.S. government encryption standards uh, and... Uh, You mentioned the the MLAT process as well. This is not actually in in our recommendations, but I think that our answer to the issue of, well, how do we address, if we encrypt the data, other governments won't be able to get it on their territory, Um, what do we do about that? I think what we do about that, and certainly this is the position of the Reform Government Surveillance Coalition of Major Internet Companies, is that we focus on fixing the MLAT process, is that we actually do need for the 21st century a modern quick-responding way for interna- for governments to internationally make requests between each other for data that's stored in their jurisdictions. I'd agree with Kevin. And I think, you know, to,
4: to Stuart's analogy, um, it, we don't need a world apology tour, it, but it's pretty clear that doing nothing uh, isn't getting us anywhere at all. There's lots of extramarital sex still going on.
3: Okay. I mean, and again, like, whatever we do, I mean, the fact is, Billions of dollars are beginning to be lost, and there's going to be more to come. And what we are seeing is, um, you know, I used the word ammunition before. We are seeing a lot of energy now being put behind things that could fundamentally fragment the Internet, could fundamentally shift the locus of Internet development economically and technically away from the United States. And right now is when we have to be acting to prevent that. I, I think Kevin's exactly right.
4: I, there's a, a very large focus on what is the dollar impact on this? What What is the impact on the companies? Uh, you know, what's, what has happened? And the problem with looking at the numbers of what has happened is by the time you have a dollar, a real dollar impact, that business is lost. And it's not coming back to U.S. companies. And And I think that that is the danger of sitting and waiting to see how this plays out. Um, it's, it's hurting U.S. companies. It will hurt worse. Uh, it will hurt our surveillance uh, capabilities worse uh, if we let this path continue to play out by that's, doing nothing.
3: That's actually a really great point. Um, not that I'm necessarily – I want <laughs> <laughs> to hear this. Well, no, I mean, like, to those who, I mean, I'm a civil libertarian. I'm primarily focused on protecting civil liberties. But the fact is, to the extent you chill people from storing data in or communicating data through the United States, that distinctly impacts our intelligence capability. You know, regardless of what you think the argument is or should be in terms of what the legal standards are or the processes are for accessing that data, if less of that data is here... Uh, we will have less of that data for intelligence purposes as well. And so, uh, in that way, the economic impact and the, ch- and the impact on the internet itself is also gonna have a security impact for us.
1: So would, should we be concerned that we're there's a, a recent report saying that mathematicians are turning away potential work from the NSA because they don't agree with the surveillance activities? Do, does that mean that we may have a different level of harm that we're not considering in this particular dialogue, which isn't necessarily a, a trade issue, but a how do we move forward out of this? Maybe we don't do an apology to her, but how do we say to young uh, engineers going forward that we still have an interest in knowing what's going on with the surveillance perspective, but there's... Do we put parameters around it. How do we how do we manage this going forward?
2: So, uh, one of the things that, that I would suggest is that uh, one if we're if if this is what we're worried about, most of the reform proposals have nothing to do with this uh, and aren't going to, as Kevin more or less acknowledged, aren't going to change anyone's view. And indeed, the longer the fight goes on, uh, uh, the more attention gets paid to uh, uh, the Snowden documents and the uh, uh, the Perception uh, that NSA is c- uh, collecting everything. Uh, uh, if this is what we're worried about, we should focus on things like MLAT reform. Uh, and frankly, uh, rather than a world apology tour, we should be taking some of this fight to the people who are misusing it for mercantilist advantage. Uh, uh, and uh, high on that list has to be the European Union, uh, uh, which has... Uh, Patented the business method of holding American companies hostage over their objections to some U.S. government policy that has nothing to do with those companies. Uh, They did that uh, to airlines over PNR. They did that to uh, um, uh, SWIFT uh, over uh, uh, U.S. collection of terrorist finance information. They're doing it now over Safe Harbor, trying to find a way to say we will threaten all of the U.S. companies that want to do business transatlantically with losing their protection under the safe harbor as a way of trying to extract concessions from the United States on uh, unrelated topics. Uh, They want to regulate, they have no authority to regulate any intelligence service in Europe. The only intelligence service they think they have the authority to regulate is the United States. It's time to call their bluff over this. And one of the things that, frankly, for people here in Congress, uh, you ought to be thinking about is the European Parliament comes over here all the time, they constantly are thinking of ways to hurt U.S. companies, putting them into law and saying, we're doing it to protect privacy. And when they come here, they hear nothing from Congress to suggest there's anything wrong with the positions that they're taking. Congress here needs to be as aggressive about protecting U.S. interests as the Europeans are about protecting European economic interests. And that means uh, taking action to prevent and to uh, specify consequences from any effort to screw around with the safe harbor over this issue, which really has nothing to do with the law of privacy in Europe, uh, uh, which the safe harbor already fully uh, uh, vindicates.
1: So I, I guess to go away from Europe for a second, and let's say there's a art imitates life and a company named Huli decides to uh, become the Google of Brazil. Is there an ability to do it? A- we, we call it Orca. Okay. <laughs> um, to do sort of a check-the-box exercise of, I would like all my data to be uh, to avoid a U.S. server. Can the zeros and ones really do that? I mean, I kind of wonder. There's a certain element of this dialogue we're having, which is very pragmatic from a policy perspective. But I don't know that technically some of the things that we're dealing with are feasible.
4: And I realize I said this wouldn't be a technical discussion, but just ponder. So, so I think it. it I would rely on a real uh, technologist to answer the feasibility of that. I think you are seeing some companies uh, saying, if you want to host your data in a particular market, we will host your data in in that market. Uh, the problem is only the Goliaths can do that, and there is a huge swath of the technology industry that is, is not that big, and is not built that way. And the cost to... Uh, a lot of BSA member companies of trying to assure every customer by saying your data will be held in X locality just isn't possible. You you undermine not just uh, the efficiency of the system and all the value that cloud computing and other things bring, but you, you undermine the costs.
1: So when Putin said a couple of weeks ago that he wanted all Twitter information to be, if, it, if they were allowed to keep, Tweeting in Russia, um, they'd have to stay on a you know a local exchange server. Or they'd have to put a server locally, and I, I don't mean to make this very you know specific to one company. But if you're a company at that point, do you just say, "Good luck," um, I, you know? We'll, we'll do our best. I and mean, I realize we've had these challenges and iterations with Yahoo um, in the past. And I mean, if you're one of these edge providers that has is very popular, especially the you know social networks, how much credence do you have to put to some of these people, or do you just say?
4: Great, Russia. We wish you the best with that. I, uh, Twitter is not a BSA member, and and uh, I think it's really hard to answer some of those questions from a from a, a company perspective, especially when you are answerable to to stockholders uh, and um, some of the markets, some of the worst. Um, parties here are fairly large markets. Um, it, Brazil, it's a business call. I, mean, yep.
2: I, I think you have to decide how much is it going to cost me, uh, not just in uh, um, funds, but in um, uh, disappointment on the part of your customers uh, 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 versus uh, what it will cost you to get out of that market. Uh, you know, when uh, when the Chinese started um, censoring Google, uh, Google said. Sia, this is not our market. When the Europeans decided to censor Google, Google said, what do we have to do? Uh, it, that's that's a, a decision they have to make, uh, uh, and you make it on a business uh, basis.
3: I mean, I'd just also add there's a layer, technically and, and figuratively, uh, between the edge providers as well. If you move up a layer uh, and look at the ISPs and the you know the the backbone providers, uh, those who have the internet exchange points that carry all this traffic. Um, we are moving into an age where there aren't a whole lot of those and uh, there are fewer and fewer entities controlling all those peering points. And you you look at many of these emerging markets, and especially in uh, countries less friendly to human rights, there are actually very few of these peering points and they're under pretty strict control by the government, such that it's actually quite feasible to say, we don't want this or that traffic coming in or out of the country, or we don't want this service to be able to reach our people, or vice versa, Um, we want to keep it internal. Um, and so it's, it's, it's worth being mindful of that. Um, you know, it's also worth noting that to the extent the major ISPs agree, we want to keep our bits on these particular links. That is certainly feasible for them to do. And we're actually seeing this being discussed in the context of the European Union and in Germany where they're talking about wanting to create a Schengen zone uh, routing arrangement where those bits are not going to leave Europe. And, like, that is technically doable, it's not going to be very easy, and it will be not very cheap. But such a thing is technically possible. The question is, can we prevent it as a policy this, result? This, this is just like any other security decision.
2: Uh, you have to decide what it's worth to you in money and in hassle. Uh, and it has to be worth it to everybody who has control of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the decisions. Uh, and it turns out, I suspect, that in most of this, uh, uh, it isn't worth it to uh, all the people that would have to be persuaded to build a Schengen zone for uh, 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 the Internet uh, to do that. Uh, it might be worth it. Certainly it's worth it for governments to say, if you're going to host our data, We want our data hosted in our country, Uh, and frankly, that's the U.S. position, so uh, it's not a surprise. Uh, uh, So on some things, they have the leverage, and they can do it relatively inexpensively, and they will do it pretty much no matter what we do for the next year on Snowden response. Uh, uh, and for the rest, they won't because it isn't worth all the hassle, just as it sometimes isn't worth all of the hassle uh, to have a 20-character password. Uh, we should. We know we should. We we mean to on January 1, but by January 30, we've uh, decided it's too hard to remember.
4: So certainly worth it to to some governments and certainly worth it to to foreign competitors. I think Deutsche Telekom would would love to have a a Schengen area for data, and they've been uh, very outward um, about talking uh, down U.S. competitors. They they have been, but, you know, uh, everybody,
2: all their customers are also quite cynical about that, and they are quite prepared to say, well, yeah, okay, if you're, 2% Two percent more expensive, we might we might take that hit in order to uh, to get what you're selling. But if you're twenty percent uh, to hell with you, we're going with Amazon.
3: If I may, to jump back to another point, um, I do want to make clear. Uh, Whatever, Stu, says you've conceded a point, you need to rethink what you said. (laughs) Um, And he he makes a good point. You know, I raised the point that uh, the current legislative proposals, uh, specifically USA Freedom, um, doesn't do enough on this score to reassure uh, the foreign markets because its primary focus has been ending the bulk telephone records collection program that primarily affects us. Um, But I... I do want to be clear that it does do a number of things that I think would help address this problem. First off, it would prevent bulk collection of any and all kinds of records if, if it's done right. You know, we're working on it in the Senate. Um, which I think should be reassuring to anyone who stores data or has records kept about them in the United States. It also would do an enormous amount, and this ties into one of our key recommendations in our, in our short paper and in our longer paper coming, uh, is tr- transparency, both transparency uh, in terms of allowing the companies to report more about the process that they're receiving and how they are or are not responding to it, uh, reports from the government about what type of process it is issuing and how much information it's ingesting, uh, more transparency about what the FISA court is deciding and, and thinks that the government is allowed to do. It's also worth noting that USA Freedom isn't the whole world on the legislative proposals right now. There was actually, I think, a, a really uh, incredible vote uh, last month in the House where almost th- um, three to one, the House approved uh, an amendment that in addition to protecting the rights of Americans by saying the, the NSA needs a court order if it wants to search data from the 702 surveillance program for Americans' identifiers, uh, it also said that no DOD, or rather NSA and CIA, um, could not attempt to mandate or request that a U.S. provider of a communication service or technology that they have to build in a backdoor into their product, and I think that speaks directly. To the type of economic and security concerns we're, we're, we're speaking about today, as does, um, Representative Grayson's amendment, which was also approved by the House, which would have, which would, um, prevent the NSA from using its relationship with NIST to undermine the encryption standards that NIST establishes. And so, I think there are things on the table right now that do impact this debate. I think passage of USA freedom would impact this debate, but I also think we there is much more that could and should be done, especially on the 702 front. I would agree with Kevin. I, I think there absolutely
4: is uh, action that can be taken that would have a very real impact on this debate. I think passage of uh, of a, an amended USA Freedom Act would be a huge step. Um, greater transparency, greater accountability. Um, ECPA reform, which we've been working on for years, would be uh, a huge step to, in, to ensuring customers uh, that uh, their content is safe from law enforcement's reach without uh, without unless uh, government gets a warrant. Um, the safe harbor negotiations have been going on for a certain amount of time and uh, regardless of how you feel about the substance of, of what's what's going on there, um, there have been positive statements coming out of European Commission officials. I think uh, there are real like, like, I'm positive, I'm going to take this away from you? Well, you know, so they've said that things are 90% baked. And, and at this point, to, to get positive statements out of the European Commission to cool some of the rhetoric, uh, to, to let things lie, because um, who knows what else The Guardian has, who knows what else The Post has, who knows what else the next rel- revelation is, uh, to cool some of the, rel- uh, the rhetoric around this would be hugely helpful to,
2: to industry. Well, Glenn, Glenn Greenwald said he was doing his finale on uh, Americans who've been spied on, and he's I done wait. that, so uh, uh, it may be that they're largely done, uh, though you never know. Uh, you know, one of the things that's been missing from this discussion uh, and really needs to be part of it is there's a cost to all of these things and to the campaign of uh, recrimination against the National Security Agency it produces less intelligence uh, we know less about the world uh, and it's a very dangerous world uh, in which uh, a risk-averse intelligence agency uh, responding to all of these things uh, uh, produces less uh, warning about things that are going to get Americans killed uh, uh, this is an enormous uh, problem and, and I lived this. Uh, the uh, the last time we had this kind of climate was not surprisingly the second term of the last Democratic president we had when uh, a time when Republicans discover their inner civil libertarians. Uh, I and uh, there was a dramatic campaign against the FISA court and against the intelligence community and against the FBI at the time over civil liberties issues. Uh, uh, And at the very time that happened, the FISA court imposed a wall between parts of the FBI that did intelligence and parts that did uh, law enforcement. And the result of that was that we could not use those law enforcement assets to try to find the the hijackers, even after we knew, the FBI knew they were in the country, and the people who had the resources on the law enforcement side were chomping at the bit to go find them, and they were told to stand down because of a civil liberties doctrine that had been imposed by the FISA Court, responding to a public climate that is very much like the public climate we have today. And two weeks after that happened, nine uh, eleven happened. Uh, these are there are very real costs to just saying how much more privacy can we can we do? You never know what will be the Biggest problem, but just saying, can we do more? Uh, can we provide more assurances of this or more assurances of that? Can we find new ways to to shackle our intelligence agencies? Are going to have real consequences that we are not going to like.
3: I want to respond to that because I think you're falling into exactly the trap that I spoke about at the front end, which is this this frankly, sometimes I think false debate between the civil libertarians or the the Snowdenistas. Um, versus national security. And for this vague privacy concern, you're going to have blood on your hands. Um, First off, I think it's personally insulting. I think we're all concerned about terrorism. I was in Lower Manhattan on 9-11. I take this very seriously on a very personal level. Um, Name one thing you have suggested in the
2: last five years to make our intelligence agencies more effective at, at a cost, even a very small one, to privacy. Well, one thing.
3: That's not my job. Oh, okay, my so job is- now your job
2: is to advocate against the national security side and for more privacy. And I'm pointing out that there's a big cost to that. Well, right? but I'm Verizon is not
1: a state. place. Most- i right. right. so I think we have to remember that we have people around here. Uh-huh. Of course. And part of... <laughs> Part of their job is to find the balance between the
4: dialogue that you two are having. I I think that's right, and and this is when I'm glad I'm actually not in the middle of the (laughs) two of you. Um, And and I think that that's the important thing here, that that we talk about that that balance. Um, uh, Months ago, when when industry was in knocking on the door saying, please let us be more transparent about the number of requests that we've gotten, the response from uh, from many was, you don't want to report these numbers. People will be scared by these numbers. These numbers will be so big that, that people will go running. And what we've seen is more hunger for the kind of transparency reports that companies are putting out. Uh, people want more granularity. And and I think that, they, that what we need to do is to, to strike that balance that Shane mentioned, to find a way to talk about uh, what's going on here in a way that, that does not hurt our uh, surveillance ca- capabilities.
2: Can I just ask a question? It, the all the companies that were suing to get more transparency dropped their lawsuit when the government actually agreed to allow uh, greater granularity in reporting. Are those same companies having dropped their lawsuit just lobbying uh, uh, to get what they agreed not to lit- litigate for?
4: So I, th- I think there, there was a, a pretty small group of companies that sued the government, and, and I think they, they got uh, a, a deal at the time uh, that um, you know, is on paper, and they've been using that. Um, I think there are a whole lot of other companies that weren't, Involved in that lawsuit, that also want to be re- be able to report. So they didn't but, feel but strongly enough about it to sue, but they feel strongly well, enough. Well, I, mean, I, I think there are a lot of companies that, that aren't covered necessarily. So right now, if you're a company and you're going to report the the number of uh, the number of law enforcement requests for data that you've gotten, you have to start with zero. Um, uh, so you know what do you do if the, your number is zero and it's zero to zero to a thousand? So you're essentially going on the the the. The implication there is that I got a thousand.
2: And, and you can understand why the US government might be uneasy about somebody who reports 0000, zero, 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 zero and has like 300. Customers and then suddenly reports uh, one to a thousand no, his, all, all the customers are going to say, "I wonder who's being wiretapped among us." Understood,
4: sir. And, and that's why I think that, that it's important to talk about the balance because there are some small companies that, that w- would be like that. They've got three hundred customers. There are also huge companies who have thousands of customers, and you know, they they might want to report a zero.
3: I mean, I'd also just add that when that happened, when that deal was made, first off. Um, It wasn't a settlement, technically. They agreed to withdraw the suit in exchange for a commitment from the DOJ. They preserved their right to sue again. They preserved their right to sue elsewhere. And they all made clear when they made that deal, their intent to continue to press for a stronger and better deal through the legislative process. So I don't think that there was any misleading of anyone's uh, intentions there. I think they made, and I think some might have made a different strategic decision, it was only a handful of companies, that that was the best deal for them to get on a quick timeline to start being able to publish at least some information which they needed to do in order to stem the continuing rapid loss of trust in the U.S. Internet industry.
4: Absolutely. And at this point, they're legislating uh, yeah. you know, some of them not to change the deal, but just to, to lock the deal down because it is, it's is—it's a settlement and it could be revoked. Uh, that thats you know explains a certain amount of the lobbying.
1: All right. We have a couple of minutes left, so I'm going to go to the audience. Um, Michael, do we have a microphone or are we just – okay. Great. Um, in the very back there, it's Frank. Is it – Next, next sorry <laughs> there is a microphone can you identify yourself as well can you, actually, do you mind standing up so we can see you? thanks you're really tall <laughs>
5: First, you know one of their objectives is to. They say that they want to increase the take up of cloud and technologies in, in their in their economies, and they're doing exactly the opposite. You know, because they're not just preventing American companies, like Microsoft, to uh, inhibiting our ability to provide services in their markets. It's, they're creating barriers, frankly, not just geographical, but they're hurting the business model of the next German or French or Singaporean or whatever startup it's going to make it hard for a local company over there to start because it's like, well, there's, there's all these regulations and requirements, etc. They're not just, like, you can't buy american it's, I have all these things to set up my business. I guess I'm going to do something else. Point one, point two. Um, you know, they are not... Uh, um, so so, so the, 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 the users of cloud computing don't have an easy access to American services. They don't have an easy access to, uh, you know, the German startup, and so all of the efficiencies that are supposed to come from that are not there. So you're throwing inefficiencies into supposedly an efficiency machine. Last time I looked at you know, the European economic picture, it wasn't that great by doing the admission of, of European authorities. So there's kind counter- of counterintuitive that they would try to hurt
2: sort of to this model to help us start the think. Well, or may, it, it may it may help part of their industry and hurt. Everybody downstream of that industry. It may help their cloud providers and hurt every startup. I mean, I I don't know any startups that that buy equipment anymore. They all uh, uh, set up on uh, a web server, uh, a web service like uh, Google or uh, Azure or uh, Amazon. Uh, And it'll be harder. Uh, If it costs more to have an all German uh, cloud, uh, then German startups will have more trouble uh, uh, starting up without uh, buying equipment.
1: I think we started a marketing campaign for them, though. Um, Laura, did you have a question or a comment?
0: only a matter of time if we end up with, with someone like Snowden. It would seem to me a short-term contractor, not a
2: great deal of loyalty towards the organization. So I just wondered if you guys could comment on that and, and whether you see that as as, as a point, or perhaps also a need of reform. Thank you. I I'll, I'll try it. I I'm, I'm uh, unaccustomedly nuanced on this type of, uh, question. I uh, I uh, <laughs> the. Um, uh, NSA has built its culture around the assumption you start there and you're in for life, Uh, and uh, that has allowed them to make certain assumptions about their workforce, uh, which are undermined when they bring in contractors, and they have not found out found a way to deal with that. At the same time. the fact is that the skills that NSA needs, uh, just like the skills that Microsoft needs, change dramatically every five years. Uh, and you can't expect to retrain your workforce every five years for 30 years and have people who are as good as the folks that you would find on the market. And and so they have to find a way to go to the market to get to, uh, to s- skills, and they've done that by going to contractors. Uh, I do think they need to watch those employees much more carefully. Maybe there's a a basis for agreement on that. We should audit the people who work for our intelligence services and our law enforcement agencies more carefully, for sure. Uh, But I, I don't think that just saying you can't outsource, you can't contract for this is going to be necessarily good because then you're going to get somebody who learned uh, how to do a new task uh, just by taking courses in Maryland uh, after work, which may not be the best way to do it.
3: Um, I'll just add, uh, thank you for that nuanced uh, take. Uh, I I have less to say about whether that's a good good idea or a bad idea or what should be done about it. Um, than in how to respond to the fact of it to the extent that when you have an intelligence community that is moving toward not only more of a contractor culture but necessarily more of a digital culture where it is actually much easier to exfiltrate a lot of data... um, The government needs to respond. Part of the response to that needs to be the government anticipating the fact that such leaks are going to occur. And I think one of the great failures of the government in this whole affair is not, clearly not having a strong game plan for if and when some of this stuff leaked. For example, by over-focusing initially on the issue of, oh, don't worry, this isn't, this isn't, this is, this is not impacting American citizens' content. You know, I mean, the response to that from Mark Zuckerberg was like, hey, man, like, most of my customers are outside the country. You're kind of throwing me under the bus here. Like, you're not helping. You're actually making it worse by harping on that. Um, you know, they actually need to think about how are they going to deal with the, you know, political and economic and messaging impact if and when these leaks do occur, which I think, they, you know, they are going to continue despite our best efforts. I'd just pick up on on
4: what Kevin said and and, and say that 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 narrative at the beginning was incredibly unhelpful. And I I understand, uh, as some members of Congress have said, no European ever voted for me. Um, But the the, – Pay for our products. (laughs) Yeah, lots of Europeans buy services and buy products from from the people who did vote for you.
1: Other questions over here? Sorry. There's a lady in line.
0: Process competence is often in uniform. It happens behind the hill. That's why so much technology has a cybersecurity label on it. Something I've noticed in the last couple of years, though, is this uh, willingness of the technology community to invest more in the long game of policy, with uh, policy shops that aren't just self-interested lobbying shops. Um, just in the last year, and I'm hoping that engages uh, the civic piece of technology. And starts to build capacity. I mean, the discussion about privatization and contracting out, um, recovering from a debacle like the NSA over collection and surveillance is different than engagement for capacity building in the public sector. And that, as someone who worked inside Congress for 15 years, is desperately needed. We don't have the technical chops inside government for the long game, and that seems to be changing.
4: Could you comment on that? So, as a representative of BSA, I'd, I'd like to think that we've been. On I think your right. Yeah. I'd, I'd, as a representative of BSA, I'd like to think that we've been focusing on the long game uh, for a long time, looking internationally, um, looking at, at how markets are going to change and grow, and I think many of our companies are are actively engaged in uh, CDT, um, Kevin's group, uh, lots of other groups, and, and as as this. Process has unfolded. I think you see um, uh, an increasing in awareness and increasing uh, appreciation for for those points, and and more attention obviously will have to be paid. I think on the horizon, one of the things we should think about is the
1: ability to share data, and that it goes to transparency. But it, I mean, it's one of the challenges. Of NOAA has really interesting stuff that could share that that could be very usable, and you know, both to the public and private sector. And you know, there's you know, we, have, we have a lot of data, we need to figure out how we we use that in an appropriate fashion, so that'll be probably a future forum here. Um, question on this side. I have kind of ignored you guys over here. Sorry, on the back.
5: it Seems like you know two fifty six bit encryption and uh, you know and then use encryption and more transparency goes a lot further in making inroads with American companies in Europe than calling out the Europeans for being
2: economically self interested. You know, uh, here is my concern: uh, they are uh, seeking to influence U.S. policy by threatening U.S. companies with the loss of the safe harbor. Uh, uh, the legal basis for that is, uh, um, non-existent. Uh, uh, the whole theory of the safe harbor was you can sign up by contract to treat your European customers as though they were governed by European law even though the data is stored here. And you can, uh, that is the assumption of the safe harbor and, uh, the, uh, terms that you sign up to do match European law. Uh, Where's the European law on restriction of intelligence uh, agency collection and storage of data? Uh, There is none. And that's why the safe harbor doesn't deal with it. And to, to say we're going to take away the safe harbor and conclude that your law is not adequate uh, because you have not adopted uh, measures that we want assuring us about how NSA is going to function, how FBI is going to function, how DHS is going to function, is Inconsistent with the law. And we shouldn't be apologizing. We shouldn't say, oh, well, it's privacy. Maybe they're right. They're European. And that accent sounds so good when they say data protection. Uh, I, I, uh, but the fact is that uh, what they are doing is purely self-interest and they are dressing it up in a data protection, uh, 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 guise. And the only thing that, that I have ever discovered that they understand is the threat of retaliation if they go beyond the legal bounds that they've set, uh, uh that are set by international trade law. And the U.S. and the U.S. Congress has been reluctant to stand up for com- companies and say, if you get hit with a uh, um, uh, a, a case, an enforcement matter right, uh, in the uh, European Union based on a theory that is goes beyond international uh, rules, uh, we'll allow you to file a lawsuit here and collect the money back. In fact, you can, you can uh, auction off the embassy of the country that uh, sues you. Uh, it, uh, we could do a lot to make it clear that we're tired of this one-sided debate in which they demand and we give a little and they come back next year and demand more and we give a little more uh, because they are threatening to hurt our industry. Uh, it, it's the wrong approach. We, we need to get much more tough-minded.
3: If, I mean, if I could add to that, I, I mean, I agree with the, the question in, in the main, but I also agree with Stu in the sense of there is a whole lot of oh i'm shocked that there's gambling in this establishment going on i mean there's a lot of a there is certainly some hypocrisy um some double standards and indeed a lot of the stuff the nsa is doing is doing in cooperation with some of these governments um i don't think that and 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 also and again and i've i've conceded as much um sometimes this is being used as an excuse to justify positions that were already held. That doesn't mean that we ha- we can ignore it and that we don't have to try and uh, ameliorate that. But I think what all this points to is, and this goes back to addressing also the, the growing credibility gap for the U.S. government on Internet freedom, is we need to begin to build the processes to have a sustained major discussion internationally about what human rights mean for surveillance and what, you know, modern democracies believe is acceptable and unacceptable in the 21st century when it comes to surveillance, whether inside or outside of their borders. There was a major report on this issue that just came out this week. I would say it was great. If, I've actu- if I'd have if i actually read it, I have not had a chance to read it, but I'm told it's, it's quite something. Um, but, uh, I mean, and, you know, we're talking about a number of issues where we're looking at, I think... Not just the next few years, we're looking at decades of work and decades of implications. I think one of the biggest implications is it is time for modern democracies to talk very plainly about when say there's a capacity for a government to sit on its domestic, ne- on its com- country's domestic network and suck up everything and then filter out the stuff it thinks is important, which is exactly what is happening here now. When is that okay? How is that okay? What are the protections in place to make sure that it's uh, that that human rights and our constitutional rights are protected. How do we generalize that across the globe in a way that is fair and monitorable and um and and uh, won't lead to uh, hypocrisy on our side or theirs?
4: I, I may agree with both of you on this point and, and say that I I would like to see the U.S. come off of its back heel a little bit, especially as it relates to the safe harbor uh, and the the Europeans at this point. Um, blatant misrepresentations and mixing of the surveillance and consumer privacy issues. Uh, it's It's been an unfair uh, burden from the start, and, uh, and I'm, I'm happy with where we're getting to on the safe harbor debate, but we, we shouldn't have had to have been there on a lot of this.
1: Last question, and there was oh, back here in the corner. There's a gentleman in a, I think it's a green shirt.
5: by telling me al-Qaeda is going to blow me up if I don't concede my constitutional rights. But the problem is not only are we concerned about the balance we have between security and liberty, but we feel that the balance we have already agreed to, the government is not following those rules. So we set up these little vice accords, but then one warrant could provide thousands of people. So the government's not even abiding by the rules that we say we want to strike between liberty and liberty. And security, and so I guess don't you? I just want to ask, like, don't you agree that whatever balance we come to as a democracy, that the government should follow those rules and accept and respect those rights that they have agreed to?
2: First of course, uh, we we're always toughest on our own government, and that is just uh, human nature, or at least uh, in this country and probably elsewhere. Right? Uh, and uh, it is fair to ask, since we get to set the rules for our government, uh, what rules we want for our government. Uh, but the fact is, I, I know a fair amount about the intelligence operations of other countries, and. Uh, We're the people, the country that came up with the idea that intelligence should be governed by law, that you can set legal rules that will restrict how government gathers intelligence. We've sold that idea to parts of the world, uh, some parts of the world, uh, and uh, uh, we have more transparency, more regulation, more oversight, and more effective oversight of our intelligence agencies than any country in the world. Uh, so if you want to talk about comparison between us and other countries, the reason I say uh, I talk about other countries is because they are nowhere near where we are, uh, and we should recognize that they will not necessarily follow us uh, in what we do. On the question of oversight, yes, we should have oversight to, uh this, the powers that intelligence agencies have are extraordinary and Data. Um, it, it is. It's not a question of whether we should gather data and go through it. The fact is, it gets cheaper and easier to do that, uh, thanks to your members every year. Uh, and that's going to happen. Uh, and if it doesn't, isn't done by the United States government, it's going to be done by a host of tech companies and the People's Liberation Army in the United States. Uh, and so we can only regulate what the U.S. government does, but we can't prevent technology from moving forward. On the question of uh, oversight, yes... But we have built an oversight system that includes members of both parties institutionally, uh, numerous executive agencies whose job is and whose careers will be made if they find abuses. The oversight committees of the uh, 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 House and the Senate are both set up to look for abuses, in many cases on a bipartisan basis. The courts are also involved in this. The FISA court judges are just judges chosen from around the country, they're not just some spooky guy who's brought in to do this. Uh, uh, they are ordinary judges like everybody else. Everything that has been disclosed here was done in the context of those oversight uh, um, uh, structures. Uh, They've been, in some cases, misrepresented by uh, uh, the uh, Snowdenistas or by the press. Uh, uh, And in some cases, uh, uh, people just are surprised to discover what uh, can be done with technology. But the fact is, this is how we found most of the al-Qaeda terrorists that we found and killed. Is by aggressively pursuing this data, parsing through the data until we could find a single person, in a single car, in a single place in Waziristan. Uh, I, and it was a major undertaking, and it required a lot of effort. Uh, I, and I don't think we want to tell them to stop. I, I think we need to have people doing that because, you know, we live in a world where technology has also made it possible for people in Waziristan to kill thousands of Americans if we aren't watching them. Uh, and so my view is, yes, we should have a website. I completely reject the notion that this was uh, uh, unlawful. Uh, I completely reject the idea that it was unconstitutional. There's been one judge out of about 15 or 20 who thought that this was unconstitutional, and his best best reason was that we now use cell phones instead of lighters at rock concerts to hold up. Uh, I I don't think he's in the mainstream. Uh, uh, You can believe it's unconstitutional, but that's not what the courts have said. NSA was entitled to listen to the courts that gave them the answers. Uh, And so uh, uh, I don't think that the oversight has failed. I think that uh, we are in the middle of a kind of moral panic over NSA and 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 privacy. Uh, It's a kind of witch hunt. We are going to wake up in three years or five years and say, What were we thinking? That was crazy.
1: Closing thoughts on that one?
3: Wow. Um, There's a lot of places I could go with that. Um, And I know we're short on time. I think it's fair to say that the oversight mechanisms did not work fully in this instance. We've had the FISA court judges themselves in newly declassified opinions, clearly disappointed with the NSA and, in some points, angry at the NSA and deciding that things that the NSA did were unconstitutional. The FISA court said, what you're doing is unconstitutional and you need to stop it in regard to aspects of the 702 program, felt that it had been misled, uh, in part because the NSA claimed that its systems were too complex for even it to understand and fully brief the court on, which is concerning. But, I mean, from my perspective, one of the biggest issues here and it's been one of the biggest issues for me for a long time because, you know, I was involved in litigation uh, at EFF, suing AT&T and the NSA over over some of these programs when they were first revealed. I mentioned earlier that the NSA is sitting on the key Internet exchange points in our own country such that they have technical access to all those communications and then, based on procedures approved by the FISA court, they're then doing some sort of sorting of that data to try and pick out what they want. We've been saying that, And that's been front-page news since 2005. And yet, that fact was classified until earlier this year. Members of Congress were never able to debate or discuss that basic basic fact about how our new modern 21st century surveillance apparatus is working when they were passing the law that is now used to authorize this conduct. We as a society did not have a debate about whether it makes sense in a democracy for our intelligence apparatus to have that kind of access to our domestic network that carries all of our communications as well as the communications of the bad guys. That is not effective oversight. That is not effective democracy. And the fact that we had to have a leak in order to begin to have that conversation signals a fundamental failure of the oversight process.
1: Chris closing thoughts. Uh, so I think
3: Stewart's kind of phrase uh,
4: that would look good on a bumper sticker that he would never put on his car that says "I'm a Snowdenista." But um, uh, I, I think it's important to consider where we are right now. We are at a point um, one where we're really kind of rebalancing um, on surveillance, and we can um, we can bicker about what has happened, we can dither, we can debate, and and there are important conversations that that need to be had. Uh, but we're also entering a new era of privacy where we need to think going forward about the decisions that we're making and the impact they're going to have both on privacy and on commerce. Uh, you know, we need to be able to allow the technology to to continue to advance, we need to ensure the infa- effectiveness of, of law enforcement and surveillance, and we need to preserve uh, the constitutional and legal freedoms, um, not just here in the United States, but of, of people around the world uh, in order to continue to lead both uh, on technology and on privacy.
1: Great, thank you. I want to thank you all for spending your Friday lunch hour with Internet Caucus and please join me in thanking our um, panelists for a very vibrant discussion.